Hey everyone, it's Keith. So, it's April, late April. Uh, it's been a while again because I'm really on the verge of transitioning this podcast into a video uh, YouTube channel. And it's going to be different, so maybe I should keep the podcast going. I just haven't felt like podcasting because it's not really what I really aim to do. Um, I've been very excited about getting this YouTube channel up and running because I just feel like the video element will be a lot more satisfying to me, and I just spend so much time on YouTube. Um, Be that as it may, I do want to talk about a few things today. Um, There's nothing really specific here. Um, I guess my major topic for the day is why America is lame, because I'm living here right now, and I'm just dissatisfied with a couple of things. I do love Southern California and living in LA. I think my life is set up nicely now, and I'm very contented on a day-to-day basis, the weather, the uh, lifestyle. But just broadly speaking about America, I I get frustrated with certain aspects, and I want to talk about two events that I attended last week. I want to break those two things down and what they say to me. So one event was the cinema and another was a baseball game. So these are two kind of like public spaces. And I have to say that overall, uh, I was happy that it felt kind of normalized, you know, like in terms of COVID restrictions, um, mask mandates weren't being enforced. Um, You know, there was no real heavy amount of anxiety about social distancing and health conscientiousness. Um, I'm not trying to advocate that we don't care at all about health and safety, but as you know, it's just not on my, (laughs) it's not my number one safety first raison d'etre, so to speak. So I was happy that these kind of things have really relaxed and things are kind of quote normal, but what is normal. So which one should I start with? I guess I'll start with the baseball game um, since it happened first and it speaks more generally to a few different cultural issues. Um, Okay, so the LA Dodgers, my favorite baseball team, they play down the street from me in Echo Park. And I was excited to go because the new year, the new season has just started. So my buddies and I, um, we walked there Um, and I just want to talk about, I guess, like how, how it is to consume sports, how it, how it goes, uh, you know, like there are some certain buzzwords I can throw out, like tailgating, pre-partying, pre-gaming, um, you know, people like to drink, for instance, and eat, and especially with baseball, it's a very picnic kind of vibe in the stands, so, This is the kind of, you know, attitude that people are approaching this game with in general. Now, obviously, there are diehard sports fans who are decked out in all the gear, and it's all about the game. Maybe people are keeping score. Maybe people are not caring and just rolling in really late, and they don't care about any of it. They just kind of appreciate the spectacle to some degree. I would put myself and my friend group more in the the category of liking baseball, uh, specifically my buddy Ryan and I, Casey and Sasha, less so, obviously, but I say obviously knowing them. Um, basically, I have a friend who loves baseball like I do, but we don't take it so seriously. We don't dress up for it, you know? 
But we know some players' names and we know how the game goes. All right, so we also like um, intoxication and it makes sense to like approach this kind of stuff as a bit of a party to some degree. So um, we have a couple beers. Uh, I walk to the stadium with a beer that's technically criminal in California, but it's a silly law that I choose to ignore. I don't try and flaunt it. I obviously don't want to act disorderly in public or draw attention to it, but I see nothing wrong with walking around with a beer as I do in Germany because it's my right. And I, you know, like consuming a product should not be uh, a punishable crime. Behavior should be a punishable crime. If you become disorderly and aggressive or sloppy, that should be the quote crime or the infraction. All right, so this happens um, without any issue. We watched to the game and, you know, I do remember a time when there weren't metal detectors at stadiums and arenas. But I guess post 9-11, for the last 20 years, it's been the way the case that you go somewhere and you're going to have to, like, go through a metal detector. It's always funny to me, like, you know, it's funny to me. I guess airports, it makes sense, I guess, though I, I can, I, I don't know, it's, I don't think airports are up there in terms of where, where guns are brought in, you know, but schools, that's kind of a scary thing, that some schools need metal detectors. You know, I remember being in Russia and going to the mall and malls had metal detectors and now people are talking about adding metal detectors in various kind of buildings libraries or something um but anyways there's this security there's heightened security at the baseball game and it's kind of this new rule that you're not allowed to bring in a bag that's a certain size and casey had a fanny pack you know the kind of bag that just straps around your waist and they were giving him a hard time about that and i was like are you serious like this thing is so small like, what is the logic there, right? And now they have at Dodger Stadium, and I presume around Major League Baseball, I think it's an MLB rule or regulation, that bags have to be under a certain size. And it's targeting purses, especially, I would think. And Sasha brought a purse, and not a big one. Granted, it wasn't a clutch, so it wasn't just, you know, for the cell phone and chapstick. It was, like, a little bigger than that, just barely. Had a strap on it, for instance. And they wouldn't let her in with it. And I was outraged by this because it was like just barely too big. And I just thought, what is the harm in letting this slide and just going in, you know? And this created this little rift among my friends and the staff because it was like, okay, don't give the staff a hard time. That's a fair point that my friends were reminding me of. But I definitely was aggrieved, and Casey was making the point that they're just following orders, and that's their job, and they have to do that because they don't want to get fired. And one of the staffers said that to me, like, oh, there are cameras everywhere. If we're caught letting her in with this little purse, we could get fired. It's like, yeah, maybe, but that's insane. That's, like, very strict of Major League Baseball to have that kind of rule and effect and for the staff to all follow it. And... You know, I was really aggrieved by this because it was 7 o'clock, 7.05, maybe 7.08. First pitch was at 7.10. This was Sasha's first baseball game to see. And I wanted to be there for the whole pomp and circumstance of it, to, like, really be in the mood and see it start off properly and all that. 
and we couldn't because we were told to then circle all the way around the field from the outside parking lot to center field entrance where there's a locker to put put your bags away during the game and so we had to walk all this way it wasn't close at all because we we're you know our seats were behind home plate so we had to walk essentially the entire way around um the exact opposite side rather and I was just pissed that we had to do this and missed the beginning of the game. And then we get to this locker and they charge 10 bucks to like store your purse. And this brings up a lot of issues. Like where was this posted? Like how much are we expected to know about this kind of rule? You know, most people drive to the game. So it's like walking back to your car. It's not the end of the world. We walked. So it wasn't like we're going to walk all the way home, which was half an hour. Um, I do take some responsibility to not know this rule, you know, like Ryan was the one that that got the tickets. So I wasn't aware of like whatever the fine print was, but I just object to more specifically how strictly this kind of rule is enforced. If someone was wearing a backpack or like had their luggage with them, fair enough, you know, like how are you going to even like fit that at your seat? But to be so strict about a purse, it really pissed me off. And it got my friends and I talking more generally about how, as a worker, or as a, you know, like if you're tasked with upholding a rule or a law, how much leeway do you get? And, of course, like, it's always this extreme example to think about the Nazis. You know, Nazis were just following orders. Like, there's a famous poster that people have in their dorm rooms of, a Nazi German holding up the barbed wire so a child can like slip under and go to eat to, to West Berlin and escape East Berlin. And I think we regard this kind of soldier as a hero because he's putting his conscience before these kind of rules. And I just, I expect people to do that. I expect more people to be cool. This is not obviously um, an American problem per se, though I do think Americans in particular are rule obsessed, more in terms of writing the rules. Uh, I know Germans are rule obsessed in terms of following rules too, and that remains the case to this day in regard to recycling or you know just following paperwork kind of bureaucracy rules. But, and I do think it's like worth making fun of because it is very authoritarian and totalitarian and oppressive to me. Um, I think that societies should be organized with as few rules as possible because we should have leeway. And in terms of like entering a big stadium or arena, I do understand that when you're dealing with 50,000 people and huge crowds, it makes sense to have rules and to limit what's brought in. So no outside food or drink, no bottles of liquor. Fair enough. You know, no guns and weapons. Obviously, fair enough. You have metal detectors. You have security patting you down. What is the problem with a bag? Is it purely so you can sell your own backpacks and bags inside? Because a lot of people were doing that. Because people obviously are shopping and, you know, when they're inside and they're buying gear, merchandise, like, where are you going to put it? But just in terms of, like, what people need when they're walking around, like, your everyday carry, women have purses in general, men don't have purses per se, but, you know, uh, messenger bags or tote bags, like, why aren't you allowed to have that if you're entering a public space? And is an arena a public space? I would say it is. It's where the public gathers in huge numbers, but obviously it's privatized. It's owned by a corporation or a business 
you know, a management, um, you know, usually a billionaire, but usually a class of billionaires and MLB baseball, major league baseball is a class of billionaires with a commissioner that they hire who sucks by the way, but this isn't about that per se. Well, maybe I'll go there. Um, but not yet. So anyways, I was just really aggrieved by this whole situation. Um, it was further worsened because this was a special giveaway day and (laughs) you know, I'm wearing myself out just thinking about this. I don't really want to bitch too much about this whole situation. I just wanted to highlight this question of when your job is to uh, screen for certain things and uphold certain rules, where do you draw the line? How strict you are? And I just have to confront my friend Casey on this point because his idea is that if that's the rule, you have to follow it specifically to the T. And I was just throwing these other examples to him, like door people, doormen and body and bouncers at, at bars and restaurants and clubs. They check ID in the USA. They make sure that you're of age to enter. Same with selling you cigarettes or alcohol. They check ID. This is a really stupid rule for a senior citizen who's obviously old. They're not even close to 21. But even for a normal adult, say anyone that looks 25 to 45, like, why are you carding them? You know that they're passing and you're not going to get, like, how are you going to get in trouble for letting this pass? If you go to a corporation like Walgreens or Rite Aid or something to buy cigarettes or alcohol, it's more likely you'll get carded. If you go to like your corner shop, just a liquor store at the, uh, down the street, they'll probably not card you and they'll probably be fine, you know? And, and so it's like, I have all these experiences in the last months of going to bars and, you know, sometimes not having my ID, um, sometimes showing my ID on my phone, sometimes showing a, a paper printout of my interim license because my ID was lost or stolen. And, and most bar, most bouncers are cool with it. They're like, okay, go ahead. You know what I mean? But some are strict and they'll say, Hey man, it's not my fault. You left your ID at home or you lost your ID. It's like, fuck you. Why do you have to be a prick about this? You know, why do you, I mean, it's, it's true that people have personal responsibility to be prepared for whatever the rules are, but it's also true that there are contingencies and things happen in this life and we need each other to support one another. And be cool. And it's just shocking to me that people aren't cool. Like, I don't know, like Sasha was pointing out what a bubble I live in and how privileged I am to think and assume that people are just cool because I do get to mostly be around cool people and in my neighborhood and the spaces I tend to live in, you know, Neukölln and Kreuzberg in Berlin and Los Feliz, Silver Lake and Echo Park in LA. It's like, in general, I'm running into individuals who get it and know how to let things slide when appropriate. And I just, I think it's sad when we don't always have this sort of um, ability to take the law into our own hands, so to speak. You know, a police officer, for instance, always has to make these kind of calls. You don't arrest someone every single time there's an infraction or a, a crime. That would be insane. You have to decide how to handle it. Casey also brought up this idea of like the workers and how we always will side with workers and how all this all this blame belongs on the corporations that make the rules. But I know he doesn't feel that way with cops, right? Like 
if you say fuck the cops, like they're following the orders and the laws made by lawmakers that we vote for. You know, that's the system. So it's like, if you don't like the law, then vote to change the law, you know? And my whole point, like with the with the drinking in public thing, it's a bad law to say that you're not allowed to consume alcohol in public. The law was written to obviously reduce drunk and disorderly behavior on the street, especially homeless people who might flaunt it too much getting wasted in public with nowhere to go. It's a bad look for a town. It's not fun to see it. It's a bit unsafe and skeevy in terms of children and women. And, you know, it's not something that we want to celebrate per se. But I remember this quote in New York, the lawmakers who who codified that law said very specifically that it wasn't designed to stop your average construction guy from having a beer on his lunch break. And yet it has done that, you know? In Germany, it's really pleasant to walk around even on the subway and just see workers having a beer even at 11 a.m. Because whatever, why not? Like, you're allowed to have a beer. It's not a big deal, you know? And teetotalers, capital T, total abstinent non-drinkers, uh, you know, they pushed through this whole moment in history in the, in the U.S. called uh, Prohibition. And Prohibition forbade the drinking and consuming and buying of, of liquor across the country. And it was like this, like, churchy, do-gooder attitude of like, oh, alcohol is bad for you. No one should drink anything. But, like, you, we saw what happened. Like, what a stupid, terrible policy that was socially. It's okay to have beer. It's okay. So it's an unjust law, in my opinion, to enforce that so strictly as well as stupid. So you have to find wiggle room. That's what the brown bag phenomenon is all about, a way to hide your beer and drink it so that a cop has plausible deniability that he saw you drinking alcohol in public. So it just it is what it is, you know? Like, we have stupid, difficult laws, and we have to navigate those laws as consumers and citizens. And my whole point here is just that when you're faced with a law that is often unjust and difficult to uh, properly meet out appropriately, use some discretion. You're a mature person, I hope. Use some discretion. And when you don't, I'm mad at you because you're hurting me and my day. You know, you're ruining my experience. You're hassling me. And am I really doing anything wrong? What is so bad about bringing in, you know, a 10-inch wide purse into an arena or stadium? What is so wrong about that, fundamentally speaking? So that really got me worked up. Um, there were more issues at the game, uh, but overall, I enjoyed the the sensation of being surrounded by tons of people, even when they're not all my people. I enjoy feeling the you know, the energy of a crowd. So that was nice. And similarly, I like going to the cinema. I haven't been in a long time. Even though nowadays it's often easier and nicer looking to watch a movie at home. If you have a good TV screen, as I now do in LA, and you have a good couch and a good situation, like, why are you not just watching it at home? Well, I'll tell you why. You're too comfortable at home. You will look at your phone. You will pause the movie. You'll get up and go to the bathroom. And you're alone or with a date or your friends. And it's like, it's nice. A movie night at home is obviously nice. But 
we're missing out on something special about going to gather in public with strangers and sitting in a dark room and being kind of um, forced into a scheduled time slot where the movie will start at this time and you got to be there planted to watch it and your attention is no longer divided it's specifically aimed at the screen in front of you so that's just a cool it's it's there are benefits to that that we don't really see as benefits but they are you know it's cool to be um tied to a responsibility of being there in the same place and you kind of um you kind of recognize the grandeur of that event you give in to that thing being bigger than you whereas at home your consumption is around you you know it's for you you get to design and direct it specifically Whereas when you leave your house and you go into a bigger event, you it's not about you. It's about the event, the, um, the medium, the, uh, the art. So I really value that. And it's something that I've missed during the pandemic. And um, so I've been making a point of going to these kind of events whenever I can now. But um, this brings me to my next point, which is the degradation of Hollywood and how movies are just not as good now. So my complaint with this situation, <laughs> uh, it was partly infrastructural, but it was mostly about um, this movie in particular. Um, so Ryan suggests that we go see everywhere, sorry, sorry, everything, everywhere, all at once, which is this Chinese American story. Uh, I don't know if the writer is Chinese American. I assume so. The directors are some duo called the Daniels, because there's two guys named Daniel. I've never heard of them. And I don't plan on watching anything else that they make, because this movie sucks. And this is a bit of a hot take, because apparently, on Rotten Tomatoes, this is a 97% score. Like, everybody loves this movie. And it's just super popular, even the audience scores in the 90s. And I'm just shocked by that, because this is a student film. This is not high quality art at all this is kind of like a made by committee or written by committee kind of story you know like let's take you know a small indie premise of a put-upon immigrant mom you know which is a fine premise like there's a lot of movies like that that i enjoy um and then let's add this weird sci-fi you know um matrix style rick and morty style confusing timeline multiverse thing going on and let's just put those two things together and i thought it was a joke because it was done so haphazardly and awkwardly i thought it was a joke and sasha and i walked out of this movie um i hope you know so i walked in i went into this movie without knowing anything um i was just trusting that this was worth seeing given the critic reviews and what ryan was saying about it um, and I don't fault Ryan for recommending it because he didn't know either, but I guess I just can't believe that critics are so daft and that the message has become so much more important than the movie itself. And the message in this case being like a, a person of color story of like some, uh, discriminated group kind of thing. Like, would this movie have been made if it was about a Polish family in the 1920s? You know what I mean? Like, would this movie have been, even been made if it was just, like, a German family? No. I doubt it. And this is what's sad about 
like the degradation of a meritocracy. It's no longer about merit. It's about identity and perspective. And that stuff is okay, but when you sacrifice quality for it, it's not okay anymore. I'm not okay with this. Like, I love Ang Lee as a director, for instance. I love um, very specifically his movie uh, Brokeback Mountain. Um, obviously, like, Asian cinema has had this huge resurgence, and I kind of thought that this movie was going to be one of these, you know, Korean movies that have been coming out every year and winning awards. Like, Korea is killing it with great storytelling, you know? And it's irrelevant that it's Korean. It's not totally irrelevant. Like, if you look at a movie like Parasite, it is quite particular to Korean society. But it's universal, you know? And that's what makes storytelling great when it is universal. And the particulars are details that they matter to the story, but they don't matter so much. It's not just about that, right? And I just really resent the way that cinema has gone, where it's like, you know, even the Academy Awards now, like, have rules of, like, how many women, how many black people have to be in the cast and in the crew in order to be nominated for Best Picture or anything else. Like, that's insane. And, you know, this is just my anti-woke tirade here. I just really resent that this is how Hollywood is. And it's very clear. They're not even hiding it. Hollywood is very clear about knowing what's best for everybody. And Disney is doing this. And it's like come out that Disney is now like, you know, all these Zoom meetings have been released of Disney executives and directors, like very publicly saying like, I have this agenda. I want more trans people in Disney movies. I want more lesbians in Disney movies. And they say it. They're like on record saying it. Fuck that. Like, I don't understand how that's good. You know, like this obsession with representation sucks. It sucks. Like it's one thing to criticize a an oppressive feeling majority rule where everything is about white men, let's say. That's never been the case in my lifetime at all. So I don't even know what era or media people are pointing to as if it was ever that way. I mean, since the 80s when I was conscious, there has been diversity in everything. You know, like people that think that this modern Marvel era of women kicking ass is new. Like, Terminator had a female protagonist hero. Alien had a female protagonist hero. There were badasses in media. Metroid was a female character in video games. Like, Blade was a black guy superhero in the 80s, 90s. You know, like, Demolition Man. There were so many examples of this already happening. And it was cool. You know what I mean? Like, there were stories being told from different perspectives. And I grew up, you know, in mainstream American culture, looking up to people that didn't necessarily look like me. You know, I have black hair. A lot of my heroes were blonde. Who cares? You think I can't relate to a hero's journey if their hair color or skin color is different? It's insane. It's an insane, like, reductive racist way of thinking and i can't believe that people with power think it and claim to be the virtuous ones and claim to know what's best for 
the movie-going audience. I'm really offended by it. So that whole thing. Furthermore, we went to the Los Feliz 3 cinema on Vermont here in LA, and this is a cute little vintage theater that's still open, you know, among a sea of LA cinemas that have been uh, converted to shops and stuff because, you know, cinemas just have gone on the decline for the last 100 years almost. Um, this one's alive, and the pandemic hurt it. They ha It's one of these places, they have three screens, but only one of the screens is good, you know? Like, they have one good auditorium with a big screen, and then they have two really tiny, lame auditoriums with small screens. And everything everywhere was playing in one of these small auditoriums. And we got in there, and like, yeah, the walls are cool, it has this kind of fun you know, maybe Egyptian uh, decor, but, you know, it has a it has an aisle in the middle of the room. It has four seats on one side of the aisle and three seats on the other side. Um, maybe even just two seats on the other side. Super tiny. There's no real true center seat. Uh, we had to go kind of to the middle slash front. We had to look up at the screen. It was projected on video. The resolution was shitty. It looked bad. It wasn't projected on film or like high-end video. It had some cool like vintage trailers and concession stand ads. That's fun. But the presentation was terrible. And I just thought, this is not good. I would rather not be here now. Like if I knew that it was gonna be in this cinema, I would rather be home, to be honest. Um, and I asked Ryan like, I told him to go check out Auditorium 1 or 3 or whatever the big one is. And he's like, God damn it. Like, yeah, why are we in this small one? And I asked him what was playing in that other one. And it was a Hitchcock film. Because basically, <laughs> this company called American Cinema Tech has rented out for, the, for a year the major auditorium at this theater. So first-run movies play in the small auditoriums. And then old-school classics play in the big auditorium. And Sasha and I weren't into this movie at all, like I've explained. So we left, and we went and watched this Hitchcock film, Frenzy, which is amazing. Frenzy by Alfred Hitchcock is excellent. It's his later work in the 70s, and it just really is awesome, and I highly recommend it. It's superb thriller storytelling, super fun. I want to rewatch it right now, to be honest. And I just thought about this irony that modern Hollywood is so bad that they're relegated to the tiniest little rooms where people might as well watch it at home, which they do, because things are now often released in conjunction at, on HBO or something. And great auditorium experiences at the cinema are reserved for classic movies. Isn't that funny? So we ended up having a great night, Sasha and I. Ryan stayed to watch this other movie. But we watched this Hitchcock film on 35mm projection in a big auditorium with like hundreds of seats and it was phenomenal it looked great it sounded great it was a great piece of art now is there anything racist about doing that do you think i'm just so <laughs> um propagandized and brainwashed that i only like white directors telling white stories told in the uk this story takes place in london you know all the characters are just like brits is there something you want to say about that? You know, is there some accusation that can be thrown at me for just thinking that an Alfred Hitchcock movie is vastly superior to this Chinese American story that has a bunch of bullshit sci-fi elements thrown into it? 
you know, I never want to use my identity as a token way to, to get something. It's not how I would like to get ahead in this world. I would rather stay behind in this world because I don't believe in that. And it's sad to me that that's how it works and that I could use that, you know, having a mixed race background with an interesting, unique story and all this. Like, it's irrelevant, generally speaking. I mean, it's helped me get to where I think we should all be, which is essentially uh, race blind and really treating people on the content of their character. Um, I don't think it's cool, and I do presume this. I, I have not looked it up, but I do presume that this movie was made for these reasons. I mean, you know, Netflix's stock is plummeting right now, and they think it's because uh, <laughs> they think it's because people are sharing passwords or their subscriptions don't cost enough money. It's because your content sucks now, Netflix. You have gone from platforming some of our favorite shows and movies to making some good quality, some um, original content, barely. And now you're just churning out bullshit content specific to every niche viewership you can think of. You know, you have to have a black teen movie. You have to have a, a lesbian romance story. You have to have a trans thing. You have to do like all these like ID politics checkbox written by committee. You know, like what if we took uh, this proven concept and we made it like that like come on like that is not how audiences are entertained i think more people than not see through that bullshit and don't want to consume it you know so i just think this is a real problem that hollywood has i'm using hollywood as a general term for like the studio system, but also just indie cinema that comes out of the USA because it's all poisoned with this attitude that it has to be representative and look a certain way and tick as many boxes as possible. No, I reject that. That's not what makes a movie good. It's never been what makes a movie good. There are good movies from all over the world with all sorts of kinds of people, all sorts of stories, but they're told with authenticity. They're told genuinely. That's what makes them good, you know? So it was a sad state of affairs going to the movies somewhat blind um, nowadays. I didn't see any of the movies that were nominated for the Oscars, but that whole shit show was like, you know, I was thinking about blog, uh, podcasting about that, but I'll pass. Um, it's just a pathetic situation, all of Hollywood and all of media right now. It's It's like hard to be genuinely good because people don't care about merit anymore they care about perspective and identity and again like it's okay to care about those things um there are obviously some valid criticisms and some people that have been overshadowed over time but you don't make up for that by dissolving merit in order to push a political agenda and america is just as obsessed with this stuff and i hate it it's really lame, and I really hope that it doesn't come to Europe. It already is coming to Europe. I hope it doesn't explode in Europe and get really big. And I hope it starts to die down in, in the U.S. <sighs> All right, I'll leave it there. That's my gripe this week with um, the state of things. Until next time, ciao.